last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access podcast for the first time in quite a while. A healthy wristed Paul Mancano joined by a also healthy wristed Brendan Mortensen via Zoom. Brendan got the bad boys off the other day, the wrist soft casts, and I think that's the end of our wrist content. I think it, it supplied us with some good quality chuckles along the way for about a month and a half. Uh, but it's time to put that to bed. Well, quite frankly, I I don't really know what we're going to talk about anymore now that you have two functioning wrists. I don't either. There, I, there's was, no jokes anymore. I mean, no. it, I, I can't think of anything. No, simply nothing. Um, no. Although I do have a, a, a recent story, if you'll indulge me. kind of. Oh, like, yes. Yeah, okay, please do. Uh, so uh, recently, after the season has ended, my social life has opened up just just the tiniest bit. And uh, I went to see, me and my girlfriend went to see uh, my friend and his girlfriend, socially distant, all that good stuff, uh, outside on his porch. But we got there, they, they were talking before we got there about getting some food. They said they were going to get some food from a local Mexican place. We thought, great, all right, we won't eat, we'll go, go over, we'll get some food. We get there and like we're just sitting around like you know drinking wine and talking and like almost an hour goes by and there's no food still and we're starving how do you even approach that do you say we, we were thinking about saying boy i'm hungry or like something that, that would try to trigger him to think oh yeah i gotta order the food well how do you approach that if you're a guest in that situation wait so you hadn't ordered yet they hadn't ordered i i had assumed we were going to get there we're going to order or they they had right. ordered a bunch of food and we're just gonna we were just gonna like figure it out. I don't know. Now is this was this their first time at a restaurant? Because usually <laughs> was, when we I go to a at, restaurant, no, 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 we were not at the restaurant. We were at you're not at the restaurant. No, we were at this person's apartment on the porch outdoors, I see. socially distant. Yeah, I see. Mask on. How would well, you approach that situation? I think the boy I'm hungry in a really unnatural, <laughs> high-pitched voice was probably the way to the go. The 1950s kind of leave it to Beaver. Shucks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Gee whiz. I sure could go for a bite. Yeah. And during every awkward silence, I was just wanted to say something, hoping my girlfriend would say something. And uh, finally, about an hour in, we ordered the food, and it was very good. Thank you for asking, Brent. Well, that's good. Uh, also, how about the NFL going through literally exactly what MLB went through like what two months ago a month and a half ago like it is almost beat for beat exactly what we saw from MLB with the shutting up down they did not really plan for a schedule rearrangement so now the schedule is is thrown out of whack teams having to miss weird time teams that had nothing to do with this uh you know getting caught up in things like the bills having to play on a tuesday when they didn't have you know they had nothing to do with anything with the titans breakout it's literally exactly what we saw i feel like baseball writers are just kind of like sitting back and and not laughing at it but they are noticing the similarities here well i think it's also very clear that there was one plan of attack that worked and another plan that did not the plan of attack being the bubble with yeah. the nba not having any positive cases and then 
the NFL and Major League Baseball just kind of going about business as usual. Not business as usual. Obviously, they're taking more precautions, but I think it's pretty clear which strategy worked and which strategy doesn't. I, I just think it's funny. Like, there's just one person who was like, hey, like, we've got this team that, you know, keeps getting all these positive cases. And then one one guy just goes, how about Tuesdays? And then they just kind of figure it out like that. That's just kind of <laughs> yeah, how it works. That's, that's exactly what Just happened. play a game on a Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, perfect. That'll do. I, I mean, I think it's, it is pretty much, uh, other than all the precautions, like, it was pretty much cl- like business as usual. Like, they didn't, yeah. they should have at least added a week to the schedule, maybe said, like, here's a fake bye week. And if a team needs to, you know, uh, reschedule a game, just everybody use that bye week or something like that. And then every other team just get off. But no, they just were like, all right, we're going to play 16 games in 17 weeks. And uh, we're just going to assume no one's ever going to get a positive case. And that's that did not work as clearly no. evidence. I don't know how they would have done a bubble for the NFL, though. Uh, it, yeah. it, I mean, a bubble lends itself to hockey and to basketball, I think, much better than baseball and, and football. Right. But there was still probably some stuff they could have done at some point. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's easy to kind of look back in hindsight and say, oh, they probably should have done this, should have done this. But but they I think were given right like now, a blueprint by the NBA. Right. Like right. it's, it's think, not like baseball, which was kind of figuring it out, like as one of the first sports to come back. Like they they had a month extra to kind of figure this stuff out. Yeah, I th- I think even right now we could look at it and say, yeah, there's probably some stuff that they should have done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to talk about some baseball here, Brendan. Yeah. Uh, we are going to concoct some fake Orioles trades because we are in the midst of the ALCS, NLCS. Games are still going on. Free agency has not started yet. We're looking for stuff to do and stuff to talk about. So we're going to come up with some fake Orioles trades, uh, some that are probably fairly likely and some that are just off the wall. Mike Elias just decides to, you know, just wheel and deal this offseason. So let's start with the more likely ones, Brendan. What is What would you say the most likely fake Orioles trade you have on your list? So a lot of the guys that I think the Orioles could deal, they're probably going to get some like middle-of-the-road prospects in return. So those are those kinds of trades are really hard to evaluate in terms of what the Orioles might get back for somebody like the uh, first guy that I have, Alex Cobb. I think um, if somebody needs starting pitching for next season and is willing to take on that contract and thinks that putting Alex Cobb and maybe your three or four in the rotation is going to get you over the bump, then you take on that guaranteed money. So I went with the team that somehow is always the one starting pitcher away from making a playoff run, uh, which is the Angels. I feel like I hear that every offseason. Same here. Uh, that the uh, that the Angels just all they need to do is solidify that starting rotation a little bit, and then they'll make a playoff push. So I have Alex Cobb going to the Angels for uh, prospect Deshaun Knowles. Okay, he's the eighth ranked prospect in the Angels system. Eighth. Uh, he was eighth. Wow. I'm going high on it. Um, the Angels don't have a great farm system, so eighth in their system might be a little bit lower somewhere else. So that's why I went a little bit higher. Uh, he's an international signee. He's still in rookie ball. Uh, he has really good speed, can play both second base and outfield. Uh, probably won't hit the majors for another four-ish years. So if the Angels are thinking that they're in a position to win now, I think they'll probably make some moves in free agency for more starting pitching. Cobb could be a guy that they bring in to be the three or four in that rotation. Maybe. I 
I came up with the exact same guy to the exact same team, Alex Cobb to the Angels again, because I say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The Dylan Bundy trade, the Angels would do that again nine times out of ten. And and still for the Orioles side, I'd caution Orioles fans not to to judge that trade from the Baltimore side just yet because we have not seen any of the four guys that they got back. Isaac Matson, uh, Kyle Bradish was one of those guys. We haven't seen any of those guys pitch in any games whatsoever uh, just yet. So that, that could end up being a good trade. But for the Angels side, they were happy with it. They still need more pitching. They pr- could probably use three more guys. Um, so I see them going after Alex Cobb. The return I have was much less, though. I have the number 30 prospect plus a recent international signing. The number 30 prospect is a guy named Warner Blakely. Couldn't tell you much about him other than he is a 2020 fourth-round pick, so a recent pick. And because we saw last year kind of what the Orioles did in the the return that they got in the Dylan Bundy trade, of those four guys, three of them were recent draft picks. So guys that the Angels were just kind of willing to, you know, had not already made a huge commitment to, had not developed these guys. They were just kind of raw pieces of clay that they threw the Orioles' way and said, all right, we'll give you quantity over necessarily quality. I think your return would probably be the higher quality, but the O's would be taking back uh, more guys and going for the quantity in, in my fake trade. Yeah, that's kind of the case in a lot of the, the trades that I made. I looked at, okay, how does this value equate? And I usually went with a higher overall prospect rather than, you know, number 30 and a few guys who aren't on the top prospect right. list. So that's just kind of how I did these trades. But oh, I, think I mean, neither of us reality, have any idea how this oh, works. No, no, no. Um, I think in reality, the Orioles would probably be more likely to go the route of getting more guys rather than a higher guy on the prospect list, because I think teams are probably more likely to trade more guys that are lower down than somebody that they have a little more faith in towards the top of their prospect list. But I was just really looking for value for value. Yeah, and, and Cobb had a 4-3 ERA last year. Ten games was mostly healthy the entire season, so that's all well and good. And he obviously has a, a solid track record, at least compared to some of the, the other guys that the Orioles might trade this offseason. He has more of a track record. But that money is going to be a problem because he still has one year left on his deal, but then he's got, I think, $20 million in deferred money, uh, which is going to be paid out over the course of the five years after that. So that is a lot of money to be spending for a guy that is probably going to be with you for just that one year. So I think that is the biggest impediment to the Orioles trading Alex Cobb. But that being said, I think he, of the guys on the roster, probably maybe the most likely Guy that gets dealt, wouldn't you say? I think he's up there. I don't know if I'd say he's the most likely. I think he's probably in the top three most likely. Who would you say is the most likely? Because we're going to get into these. I think Renato Nunez might be the most likely. What's Uh, what's your Renato Nunez trade? Do you have one? Yeah, so I have him being dealt to the Chicago Cubs. I also Uh, had that deal. (laughs) Uh, The Cubs did not have uh, a great DH presence this season because Kyle Schwarber was playing a lot in left field. I think Schwarber is probably a better DH than a left fielder, so maybe the Cubs would rather go for a better fielding left fielder rather than a DH. But, hey, these are hypothetical trades. Sue me. Uh, I have Renato Nunez going to the Chicago Cubs for the 16th-ranked prospect, Giovanni Cruz. He's a 21-year-old international reliever. He's currently in high A ball. He's got a power sinker, good changeup, good slider. 
uh, could be a bullpen piece for the Orioles in a year or two. Renato Nunez doesn't really fit in with next year's lineup. We've talked about it on past podcasts where Nunez might be the odd man out of a crowded Orioles outfield. So I think there's a pretty good chance that Nunez gets dealt this offseason, maybe to an NL team if that universal DH is around to stay. The Cubs weren't really set up for that universal DH, and maybe they think they can trade a mid-level prospect for a guy like Nunez who can probably get you 25 to 30 home runs in the middle of a lineup for a contending team. Yeah, the White Sox were relying on Edwin Encarnacion, who was 37 last year and is, I think, going to be a free agent or at least has a um, a team option that is not going to be picked up. And he ended up hitting 157. Almost half of his hits were homers, so at least he had 10 homers. But the <laughs> everything else was not there for him. Um, so Renato Nunez would represent an upgrade. And, yeah, I mean, you mentioned why the Orioles might want to trade him. And to me, I see a similar situation to the one they had last year with Jonathan VR. First year, uh, it wasn't VR's first year of arbitration eligibility, but it is Renato Nunez's first year of ar- arbitration eligibility. He's going to be owed more money than he was previously. Um, and he really doesn't have a full spot on this team. And, you know, while he has been a, a fun guy and a great presence to have uh, in the clubhouse and a, a fun guy to follow when he gets hot, he can go through some very big uh, swells, you know, some uh, times where he really struggles to make contact and is chasing pitches way out of the zone. So I think there could be some incentive for Michael Elias to trade him and to clear up some of the logjam that they have at first base. In terms of the return, I have number 25 prospect. So I went a little bit lower, uh, and that would be shortstop Lenny Sosa. He's a light-hitting A-ball shortstop with strong defensive tools. So roughly the same kind of mid-level, you know, top top 25, top 20 prospect level uh, coming back for Renato Nunez, who would still be under control for, I think, three or four more years. Uh, so, and, and a team like the White Sox, they probably would have, they, they maybe had a higher ceiling if they had had better production out of the DH spot. So I think they're going to be hunting for a DH this offseason. Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. And like I said, I think there's going to be a lot of National League teams who might look at Renato Nunez as well because they just aren't set up for the DH at this point. And they're going to look at some other options throughout the league and see if there's anybody that they can snag. And I think Nunez is probably going to be readily available for any deals. Who else do you have on your more likely to be traded list? And what is that deal? Yeah, so the last guy that I have on my most likely to be traded list is Sean Armstrong. Uh, The reason that I have him on this list is because he's one of the older relievers in the Orioles bullpen at this point. And I think, again, it, it kind of just lines up with the rebuild. Sean Armstrong has a pretty good chance to be a decent reliever for the next few years, but I don't know if he really lines up with the timetable for the Orioles at 30 years old. So I think they could probably move him to another team that is in at least the hunt for contending. Uh, And the team that I have is the St. Louis Cardinals going out and getting Sean Armstrong. Uh, And the deal I have is for their 25th overall prospect, uh, Alec Burleson. Uh, He's an outfielder. He would probably be around the 28 to 30 prospect in the Orioles range uh, has the potential to be maybe a fourth or fifth outfielder 
currently he's just an A ball. He probably won't be at the major league level until about 2023. So maybe he's a guy that could come up and, and add to that Orioles outfield rotation in a few years. Probably not going to be a starter, not going to be a stud, but could at least be a depth piece. And I think he'll take that for a guy like Sean Armstrong. I agree. And Armstrong is another guy who's going to be arbitration eligible. It is also his first time he's going to be arbitration eligible. So uh, you do have a little incentive to trade him there. I had him go into the Phillies just because the Phillies had the worst bullpen in baseball, probably in the last decade of baseball. They were so utterly terrible uh, and they just need any kind of relief that they can get. And I'm, I'm guessing they're going to try all three, you know, modes of getting uh, of getting talent for that bullpen, which is they're probably going to draft pitchers in next year's draft, whenever that is going to be. They're going to sign some guys, and they're going to have to trade for some guys because they're going to need maybe six <laughs> relievers to be added if they want to compete next year. So Sean Armstrong, I think, fits into that, and I think he did pitch well against the Phillies, if I remember correctly, earlier on in the 2020 season. And the, pro- the uh, prospect I have coming back is a left-handed pitcher, Kyle Young. He's the number 27 prospect in the Philly system, 22 years old. He's a 22nd round pick who was in high A ball uh, last year. So that's that's my Sean Armstrong trade. But did you have any other reliever trades, Brendan? I did not. The oh. other three trades that I had, uh, well, I won't, I won't give away all the fun yet. Uh, one of the more likely trades that I had was a position player. And then I had two for the Orioles that I thought were just a little bit ridiculous, but fun. So... No, I, I actually didn't have another reliever getting dealt. I thought about possibly dealing Paul Fry somewhere. That's what but I, I did. think. I think if there is a reliever who stays, I think out of a, a reliever who stays out of the ones that we thought could possibly get traded, I think it's Paul Fry just because he's a little bit younger, lines up a little bit better with when the Orioles might hopefully be making a playoff push a few years down the road. So I think Paul Fry has a better chance of staying than a guy like Sean Armstrong. So that's why I didn't make a deal for Paul Fry. Yeah, Paul Fry is a little bit younger. I do think it is possible that they could deal him. I mean, they just traded Miguel Castro, who's 25, 26 years old. So uh, maybe they try to cash in on Paul Fry's career year. I had him going to the Giants for their number 28 prospect, Sean Roby, who is a 22-year-old, eight former 12th round pick in the 2018 draft. Uh, but the reasoning I was thinking for Fry to the Giants is kind of similar to the Phillies because the, the basically the reason the Giants didn't make the playoffs, this expanded playoffs field in 2020, was because of their bullpen. They could use several guys. I could just see him fitting in a Giants jersey, uh, fitting in San Francisco. Uh, so I I have Paul Fry to the San Francisco Giants as my fake trade. Well, you mentioned one position player trade, though, Brendan. What was that? Yeah, so I have Jose Iglesias getting dealt. This falls under my kind of possible trades, but also slightly ridiculous because I'm playing MLB The Show GM here. I think Iglesias probably has a a good, if not great, chance of sticking with the Orioles next season. But the trade that I have is uh, Jose Iglesias being dealt to the Cleveland Indians uh, in a scenario where they lose Francisco Lindor I, and need a shortstop. We so I have, were on the same wavelength, slightly different wavelength, because I also have yeah. a Lindor trade in here. But okay, give me your Iglesias right. trade. Yeah, so I have Iglesias to the Cleveland Indians uh, for their 12th-ranked prospect, Carson Tucker, who was actually their first-round pick 
last year is the younger brother of Pirates shortstop Kyle Tucker. He's an 18-year-old shortstop. He's still in rookie ball. It essentially, again, just pushes the Orioles' timeline back. You're trading a veteran shortstop who's already proven. And in return, I looked at it in a similar way that the Orioles are kind of constructing their starting pitching in their farm system in that you have a bunch of starting pitching prospects who are kind of middle-of-the-road guys who you're hoping could be a number three, a number five starter in their rotation. My reasoning for adding a guy like Carson Tucker is because you now add him to Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson, and in arguably one of the most important positions on the field, shortstop and center field, I think, are the two most important non-catcher fielding positions. I think you're just basically stacking your deck and saying, okay, it's – probably one of the more important positions on the field. We need somebody who's going to be there and be consistently good. So now you've got three prospects towards your top 15 in your top 30, and you're just stacking that deck and hoping that one of them turns out to be your everyday shortstop going forward. So again, it's just kind of pushing the Orioles timeline back. I don't know if the Indians would give up their first round pick from last year, but maybe they lose Francisco Lindor get desperate, think they can still make some noise in the playoffs, and they need a shortstop to make that happen. So they go out and get Jose Iglesias and maybe overpay for him a little bit. By the way, you mentioned all the guys that the Orioles have in their system that are now shortstop-type prospects, and one of them is Taron Vavra, who I spoke to last week on All Access. They're maybe converting him to center field, which is an interesting twist. I mean, he's a great athlete and stole 18 bases last year, but they're good on outfield depth, at least at this point. Um, so that's an interesting kind of twist there. Obviously, he's probably a year or two away from the bigs, but you would think that they would want to keep him in the infield, but they're trying him in the outfield, maybe try and turn him into a utility guy. Um, I had Jose Iglesias going as well. Now, this would be reliant, of course, on the Orioles picking up his team option, uh, which is only about $4 million, so I think that that is very likely to happen. So whichever team would be getting him in a trade would be getting him fairly cheap. I have him going back to the Cincinnati Reds for two recent international signings uh, just because I think that maybe the injuries could be a detractor for another team um, and the fact that he is on the wrong side of 30 at this point. And he did honestly show a little bit of concern in the field. I know he's a solid fielder, but if those injuries continue to persist, maybe he doesn't play shortstop at the same level that he did Uh, in previous years so I have him going back to the Reds but he's better this time than when he was on the Reds a year ago Uh, he still buds with Joey Votto so that works out Um, and then yeah I mean the return would be essentially what they got in a Blyer Malone type trade and I know Jose Iglesias is a better player than both of those guys Um, but this is at a time when the Orioles don't need to trade him and the other team doesn't need him as badly you know, if they if they pick up his team option and wait until the trade deadline, they could probably get more in a Jose Iglesias trade, even for half a season, um, than they might during the off season when his health is a concern. You haven't you didn't see him fully healthy near the end of the year, uh, and teams don't get super desperate like they would at the trade deadline. Yeah, I think there are certainly going to be some teams interested in Jose Iglesias. I think more than I thought would be at the beginning of the year because like you said his bat is somehow better than it ever was and if you're looking at Jose Iglesias you're probably assuming that the mistakes that he had in the field last season are more of an anomaly than the norm even if his hitting stats are above where you would expect them to be if he's better he now all of a sudden has a completely different value for you 
whereas before he might have been a decent contact hitter who will play a solid defensive shortstop. Now he's also a solid hitter who plays solid defensively at shortstop. So I think he could actually present a good amount of value, especially to a team that's trying to make a playoff push and just needs to fill one or two holes. Jose Iglesias could potentially be that guy. So, Brandon, you have two trades left. I think I have one. What are your, what yes. are your, what is, give me one of your two trades. So I have one that is slightly very ridiculous. And then I have the second one, which is absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Uh, the first one, which is slightly very ridiculous, is the Orioles trading Anthony Santander, Adam Hall, and Kobe Mayo for uh, White Sox second baseman Nick Madrigal. Wow. Uh, he would immediately be the starting second baseman for the Orioles. Uh, he's their number three prospect in a absolutely stacked system. College teammates with Adley Rutschman. He is an unbelievable contact hitter. He hit 340 last year. He struck out seven times in 29 games. The dude just hits like it's his day job because it is. He is going to, the reason that I gave up so much for him is because he is going to be a piece on the Orioles if you hypothetically traded for him. He's the kind of guy that you would re-sign, and he's still really young. You would re-sign him for a bunch of years down the line, and he has already shown that he is going to be an amazing contact hitter. So maybe for the White Sox, you trade Anthony Santander. They had Nomar Mazzara that they signed, and he didn't really work out too well. So maybe the White Sox just need a different piece in the outfield and you get two good prospects as well. And Adam Hall and Kobe Mayo, and you give up one of your younger guys in hopes that you can make a world series push. That would be giving up a lot of power to get a lot of contact. That's what I would say. Because I, I, from what I understand, I haven't watched him closely, but Nick Madrigal, you said is an incredible contact hitter. But I, yes. he's a smaller guy, and I don't think he, he is has... The it, smaller guy is putting it lightly. He is 5'8", <laughs> 175. Hey, wow. Look at that. So I can become a professional baseball player. There you go. There's hope for me. you yet. Uh, get these wrists healthy, and we'll see. Uh, Nick Madrigal, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I can't. That is obviously very justifiably in the slightly ridiculous category because I don't think yes. that the White Sox want to part with him. He would be a fun oh, no, piece to have. Not. Would be a very yeah. fun piece to have. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know. That would be an interesting trade there and and was a, a very highly touted prospect, obviously. But if you're giving up Anthony Santander, you got to replace his power somehow. Right. Yeah, I also I also just thought it was fun that Madrigal and Adley Rutschman won a College World Series yeah. together. So maybe this isn't me playing GM. Maybe this is Adley playing GM and just saying that you've got to trade whoever to get Nick Madrigal. Well, you could bring up Caden Grenier and just have the entire exactly. Oregon State. Uh, Family reunion. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you my final trade because it is okay. an Anthony Santander trade. And it is to the Indians because the Indians struggle. Oh, he's going back. He's going back to the team yeah. that let him go in the Rule 5 draft. It all comes full circle, Brendan as Anthony Santander in this fake trade goes back to the Cleveland Indians who are in desperate need of outfield help. And it is part of a three-team deal in which Francisco wow. Lindor goes to the St. Louis Cardinals. Okay. Ooh, so the, o- the Cardinals make a trade splash. The R- the Cardinals, yeah. I mean, we saw it with wow. Paul Goldschmidt. They okay. get a guy who's got, you know, what is Lindor going to have one or two years left on his deal? And uh, they introduce him to the Cardinal way. He falls in love with St. Louis, and then they re-sign him for big-time money. So I could see this 
uh, happening, and, and he extends their window. They haven't gotten over the hump in recent years, so I could see Lindor being attractive to the Cardinals, and I could be see Santander being very attractive to the Indians. What the only real thinking from the Orioles side to trade Anthony Santander because I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I'm thinking maybe they would just want to clear some outfield space and get it ready for Yusniel Diaz. They want to see what he has. Obviously, we saw great stuff from Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins last year, uh, and Ryan Mountcastle still has the potential to play left. And then you have uh, you know other guys who are waiting in the wings, Heston Kerstad as a potential long-term right fielder. So that would be the only impetus for an Anthony Santander trade that I can think of. Now, now what are the pieces going in this trade? Oh, I didn't even mention. Uh, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the O's get back the Cardinals, number 13 prospect, right-handed pitcher, Angel Rondon. Okay. Couldn't tell you anything about him. He's 22. Okay. That's all we need to <laughs> That's know. That's some deep research there. But I look, I, I, do you think the Lindor trade happens this offseason? I think there's a pretty good chance it does. I think so, too. I, I think it probably does. But interesting that the Orioles, do they only get back the number 13 prospect in the Cardinals system and yeah, maybe, give up Anthony Santander? Maybe throw in some lower-level prospects. Okay. All right. That, seem, that seems like a relatively small return for Anthony Santander, I would think, at least. Maybe they get something thrown in from the Indians. I'm not sure. Maybe they just get Francisco Lindor. I think maybe, that, maybe the Indians just, just say... One. Right, it's yeah. just Anthony Santander for Francisco Lindor straight up. Yeah, I could yeah. easily see that, easily. Yeah, who um, says no? Who, who says, says no? Who says no? Um, all right, your final trade, Brendan. Is this the most ridiculous trade on your list? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I, I'd say it's slightly more ridiculous than the last trade that I had. Okay. Uh, the Orioles in this trade move Gunnar Henderson, Hudson <laughs> okay. Haskin, and Tyler Nevin to the Chicago Cubs for Chris Bryant. He okay. was, don't get me wrong, <laughs> terrible. This year. Yeah. He was horrible this year, but he's still an MVP winner. And I think this season was an anomaly. I don't think Chris Bryant is going to be that bad going forward. Next year is a contract year for Bryant. So in my stupid hypothetical, if you are Michael Elias, you say, okay, you want to get something for Chris Bryant if you're the Cubs. And if you're Chris Bryant, Maybe teams are going to look at this past year and worry about giving you a longer-term contract. So maybe the Orioles in this deal guarantee Chris Bryant a contract going forward, and that's how they're able to get him. Because maybe you can get him for a little bit less than his market value because of how bad he was in 2020. Okay. I mean, there are some... That's 40 chess. <laughs> there are some major hurdles to yes. this trade. I think the biggest thing is you're probably not going to be a contending team, the Orioles aren't, in 2021. So oh, this, you're, this puts you in World Series contention right away. Yeah, immediately. Especially if he gives you what, that he, point, what he gave the Cubs in 2020. I mean... Exactly, yeah. exactly. What? I he think at that point, one you RBI? call up all of your prospects. You are ready to go. You are all in for the 2021 World Series. Call up Adley. Call up D.O. Hall. Call up Grayson Rodriguez. I, I mean... In. I think they are going to make... I, I just can't wait for the day because I do think it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be the 2021 offseason, 2022, 2023. They're going to make an all-in move at some point. There's yes. going to be a star on the market that they're going to make a tra trade for, for a <laughs> sign and for a, you know, basically a sign and trade, but trade and sign and extend. And that's going to be so exciting down the line. I think it's a little early 
for to be pushing all your chips into the middle of the table, uh, especially considering Brian is what can he's like 28 at this point. Yes. Somewhere around that. Yeah. yeah. So you're wasting a year of his prime and then just extending. Oh, yeah. And then just yeah. extending him into his 30s. Yes. You're going to go all in at some point on somebody. Chris Bryan is not the guy. Listen, you said ridiculous trades. You didn't say good trades. Yeah. Okay. No, I. That's fair. I'm, I'm working with what you gave me. <laughs> my my it, most it was, ridiculous it was one was better. the Santander. See, my the other trade that I was thinking of was uh, trading Yusniel Diaz and Dean Kramer to the San Diego Padres for Manny Machado, but I wasn't sure <laughs> if that trade would go no, through. No, Manny's coming back after he opts right. out in three years because he's right, got that right, right, right. opt out after five seasons. I mean, that's yeah. a, that is a fait accompli. That is is guaranteed to happen. Yeah. Um, I don't. Or think- you re-sign James Shields. <laughs> and trade him to the Padres for Fernando Tatis Jr. It worked once. It worked, yeah. I mean, it's the same players on paper. I see exactly. nothing wrong with that. Um, nothing at all. That would be funny though if 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 Manny eventually came back. Be that it, it won't happen, but it, it won't. That's <laughs> not going anybody's hopes right up. It's yeah. not going to. Um, but there could be some moves that the Orioles make this off season, and we will keep an eye on that throughout the offseason, and of course, stay tuned to MassInSports.com and all of our Mass and Orioles social channels as we keep you updated throughout the offseason. Uh, Brendan, it, it's looking like it's going to be a Braves World Series. It really might. That? You get the, Much to the chagrin so, of Major League Baseball, it, it could be <laughs> Braves Rays. It's, it, do, do you the big market there. teams that everybody wanted. It's like B... Open parentheses. Raise. I got the pun. Okay. I yeah, just, just didn't like sure. it, so yeah. that's why I just kind of just kept blew just right kept through rolling it. through it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, it would be. I think it would be a Loki very fun matchup, though. Oh, I think it would be great. But yeah. I just, I think it would be funny for Major League Baseball to have to look at the potential of a Yankees Dodgers World Series just absolutely thrown out the window <laughs> in favor of the Tampa Bay Rays and Atlanta Braves <laughs> yeah. in the World Series. Yeah. Not not good for business. I'll say that much. No. Uh, Business not booming. But the games will be very fun. But, Brendan, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast. As always, appreciate the insight. Yeah, thanks for having me. He's Brandon Mortensen. I'm Paul Mancano. Thanks to Bobby Blanco and Hannah Broder behind the scenes. As always, thank you for tuning in. And, of course, subscribe on all of our platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. If you don't watch the podcast, you can do that. Watch it on the Mass and Orioles YouTube account or the Mass and All Access Facebook page. And uh, keep liking and subscribing, rate, review, all that good stuff. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.